an agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire. I'm Felix Bunnell, resident historian for Cairo News Radio, heard with Dave Ross and Colleen O'Brien Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian Podcast, how to nominate your favorite historic restaurant to receive a $40,000 grant from the National Trust. They are really, in many cases, the beating hearts of their communities. And then, from the archives, welcome to Washington and other quirky local pronunciations. Well, very few Americans have ever heard uh, of Oslo before the disaster struck. We've all been inspired by the incredible way that the community uh, has come together. And stay tuned for a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening in the Pacific Northwest with the Never Green Minute. But first, let's go all over the map. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. Our resident historian Felix Spinell joins us on Fridays for All Over the Map. A quick look at the stories behind local places and things, and this week... Some people might call Seattle the 206, but there was a time before area codes when reaching out to touch someone meant dialing on an actual dial and a lot fewer numbers. Yeah, you know, it's 25 years ago next month when the 425 area code for the east side and 253 was introduced for Pierce County. Seems like just yesterday when I think about that. Those places had been part of the 206 before, but the phone company was running out of phone numbers because so many people were adding fax machines. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Cairo News Radio I News Fax? I do. I have a copy somewhere. It's on that curly thermal paper somewhere. It's in, I have to kind of smooth it out every time I look at it. Burn the, the letters into the paper. Yeah, I'll have to dig that out sometime. Wow. Anyway, the whole idea of area codes is actually marking its 75th anniversary this year. It was in October of 1947 when the phone company assigned three-digit codes to 86 regions of the U.S. and Canada, including 206 for all of Washington State. This was the first step in creating something called direct distance dialing, which would allow just like what it sounds. You could dial a long-distance number without any help or with a little less help from a human operator. operator, Yeah. Yeah. Phones first came to Seattle around 1880, and for the first 40 years or so, you had to have an operator help you with every single call. First-dial phones came here in 1923. After World War II, technology was speeding up as the country was getting more connected, so they want to automate things. So direct distance dialing was first activated in parts of New Jersey, of course, in 1951, First area around here to get service was Wenatchee in early 1957, right after the 509 area code was introduced, in case you're keeping score. And then, believe it or not, the first demonstration around here was Vashon Island. Hmm. So direct distance dialing was supposed to be an improvement. Um, and reading old newspaper articles, it reminds me of kind of the difference between placing a takeout take order by phone or using an app. You know, it sounds like it's going to be easier. <laughs> um, this is this glowing account from the Seattle Times from 1957. Here is how a Vashon Island resident will call a number in Seattle, for instance, after the new system goes into operation. The customer will pick up his telephone and first dial his own number. That identifies his telephone to the system's automatic billing equipment. Then the customer will dial the number 77, a code number which takes his call to Seattle. Then he will dial the Seattle number. That's all there is to it. Direct dialing equipment does the rest. <laughs> wow. Sounds great. Um, the other big change is now part we of this. don't know any numbers by heart. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. I, exactly. <laughs> One other big change as part of this was a move from six digit phone numbers to seven digits. That happened in March of 1958, 12.01 a.m. exactly, on March 16th. That was when phone numbers were listed and remembered as two letters followed by digits. Here's another helpful phone company ad for that around that time. For example, if your number is now Rainier 1070, your new number will be Parkway 2 1070. Ooh. See how easy it is? Yes. <laughs> 
Anyway, the really big day, really big day for direct distance dialing. That's when you had to know and use those area codes, including the 206 and 509, all that stuff. Sunday, February 19th, 1961, you could call all over the country. Millions of phones you could reach by dialing. You still had to sometimes talk to an operator to get your actual account number through and stuff. It wasn't perfect, but that's when they began getting rid of all those sweet old little old ladies plugging all those things, that's like right. the Lily Tomlin character plugging all that stuff. And, oh, all that kind oh, of stuff. I got scolded once as a kid. I picked up the phone, <laughs> and I just, I just listened to it. I was playing with the dial, and I got a, I got a voice saying, Hey, are you playing with the phone? <laughs> oh, my. Are you playing with the phone, young man? And I was terrified. I put it down. I ran to my parents. That would have been a That's dream great. job to be able to listen in on people's phone calls. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> as, as late as 1959, there was still something like 30,000 non-dial phones in Washington and part of Idaho that the phone company served. And then the next big milestone was April 1962. That's when touchtone phones were introduced yes. to the general public right here in Seattle at the 1962 Seattle World's Fair. That's oh. where they were introduced. So there you go. How fun go. for us. It is 6.40. All of Felix's features, by the way, at MyNorthwest.com. Whether we travel by water, land, or air, we are thrilled by the scenic grandeur of the evergreen state. The National Trust for Historic Preservation is giving away $40,000 grants to 25 historic restaurants around the United States. And our resident historian, Felix Pinnell, says that you can help nominate your favorite eating place as long as it meets a few key criteria. Felix is brought to us by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. Yeah, this is the second year of a program about recognizing and supporting local restaurants with $40,000 grants. It's not for every restaurant. There are some history criteria have to have been in business and contributed to the neighborhood's history for 25 years, have to be independently owned and in a historic building or neighborhood, and there should be a demonstrated need for funding from you know damages or historic barriers or even the pandemic, and the restaurant should tell a diverse story about cuisine and community in America. And I think that can be pretty broadly interpreted, and pretty much every restaurant would fit that category, uh, in my opinion. I spoke with Catherine Malone, France. She's the Chief Preservation Officer for the National Trust for Historic Preservation. I think that's a cool title. I want to start calling myself the Chief History Officer or something mm-hmm. for Cairo Radio. <laughs> I like that. They created the restaurant program last year with support from American Express. And she explained how preservation of historic restaurants, it's not about nostalgia for yesterday. It's all about tomorrow. Preservation is really about how we protect places like that and let them continue to serve their communities, let them continue to write the next chapter in their histories. We wouldn't want to live in communities that didn't have these these local historic small restaurants, not just in their pasts, but in their futures. And of course, there's plenty of categories of businesses and places you could preserve, whether it's a bowling alley or movie theater or Memorial Stadium, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Why focus on just restaurants? There are all kinds of historic places, community touchstones that define the identities of their communities and that strengthen their communities. Restaurants are an excellent example of that. They are gathering places. They're places where people exchange culture, share culture, and get to know each other. There are places where people have, you know, family celebrations. There are places where business meetings happen. They are really, in many cases, the beating hearts of their communities. 
And, of course, the pandemic has hit a lot of restaurants really hard. And this grant program isn't just all free money for the bottom line. At least half of it, or 20000 has to be used for repairs or upgrades that might otherwise have not been able to have been prioritized. Basically, they have to be exterior-facing, you know, improvements. So things that engage the public as well. So it's things like murals, awnings, lighting, upgrades to, you know, historic signage or taking care of historic signage. One thing we saw a lot last year was how much people love their historic signs, but that they were in need of repairs. Um, painting on the exterior, cleaning of exterior facades, upgrades to or the creation of outdoor seating areas. You know, in a Seattle restaurant called Maneki was one of the recipients last year and will do a lot of what Catherine just described. I went down and checked it out last night and got some takeout, and they haven't really been able to proceed because of the pandemic, but they've, they've got big plans down there. And now the grant program, it's opened any restaurant that's been in business for 25 years. And, of course, only 25 restaurants nationwide will get $40,000. I mean, it's, you know, you, can, you, you can't help everybody, but you can help some people. And that's great, says Anthony Antone from the Washington Hospitality Association. That forty grand will make a big difference for the lucky ones. Um, in the meantime, though, I asked him what people can do to support the other 15,000 restaurants in Washington. Contact their congressperson and ask them to keep supporting the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. Uh, that's the fund uh, that assists people with their debt. And there are about 3,900 restaurants that applied, qualified for, and did not get it. So... That would be the number one thing. And then, of course, just Washington's been great. People who've been continuing to support their restaurants know that um, we're so excited for to be coming out of this thing. Um, but we have a lot of debt and other things we're going to have to get through. So don't give up on us. We're looking forward to just serving them and seeing them and moving forward. I mean, 15,000 restaurants in a while, that's a huge number. Of, and then there are so yeah. many of our family businesses. Um now, the deadline for this program is April 4th. It's a really quick Anybody turnaround. can nominate a candidate? There's, there's two tracks. You can be a restaurant and nominate yourself, which mm -hmm. is fine. Or you can just nominate as a member of the general public. There's a separate thing. You click on and nominate whatever your favorite restaurant is. And I've been um, – we've got details at My Northwest. I launched a big social media campaign on Monday because I feel like there's no <laughs> restaurants from Oregon or Idaho in the last round that were chosen uh -huh. and none in rural Washington. So I've spread the word all throughout Oregon, Washington, Idaho through these different um, Facebook pages and historical groups and the Twitter and everything. Response has been off the charts. People have been suggesting all kinds really? of restaurants. Plus, I've never, I think of myself as fairly well-traveled in the Evergreen State. I heard about Tommy's Dutch Lunch in Walla Walla. Multiple people mm -hmm. suggested that place. So you can, there's a community table you can sit at and talk to prison guards. Wow. It's kind of this like – and it's sort of a greasy <laughs> spoon. And they, uh, uh, Arthur Langley says be sure and have the uh, sausage gravy on the hash browns there. Oh, um, come on now. I'm hungry. <laughs> heard about the Viking and Sprague. Sprague's one of my favorite small towns right on the edge of Spokane there. Oh, yeah. There's a place called the Viking. I've never been to the Viking. It's been revitalized so many. It's right next door to KXLY4 where I used to work, the TV station. Oh, okay. And it's like the place you go any time of the day, whether you just need a dark spot to eat breakfast or if you want to go have a, a good time and party. So okay. I can see that. I was thinking in Marysville. At first oh. I was thinking the village. Because, yep. of course, it's been there for way more than 25 years. The but original burned spot down. burned down. Now they're in the log cabin. So it's a pretty historical site, but also Dawn's. Now, I don't know Dawn's. Dawn's is a nice, just 24-hour diner right oh. on State's. No, not on State Street. Right off the freeway. Okay. 
And that is, if you don't eat there as a Marisvillian, you're not a Marisvillian. Yeah, wow. What about Mike's Chili Parlor in Ballard? I love their building and their sign. That's a perfect one. That's a, that would be awesome. Keep it old and unmaintained. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that would be like that would be like Dawn's. No offense, but maybe, yeah, I mean it's sticky. We love it that way. Find a restaurant that has a functioning neon sign and find a way to have one of the letters kind of fizzle and make a crackle <laughs> sound. It. That would make it even more, give it more atmosphere and make it more of a community treasure. We've got to vote for Crazy Eric's. In Bremerton. Never heard of it. From the text line. Oh. It's, a, it's a kind of a drive through kind of walk-up kind of place. i so. got to stop packing a lunch on these history field trips <laughs> I've been taking. Yeah. Yum. Felix Spinell, resident historian, all his features at MyNorthwest.com. Chief history officer, David. Chief, sorry, chief <laughs> history Cho, officer. The Cho, C-H-O. <laughs> Head poobah. For this is Cairo where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. For this edition of From the Archives, Washington is just one of many quirky pronunciations of local place names. There are people all across this USA and they all say the name of our city So, what? so what's it? Is that the Capitol Steps? Who's that? I'm not sure who that is. I think it's from an ad agency in Bangor, Maine, put I that see. together to help locals and people from out of town better pronounce the name of that city. I see. So the question is, what's in the name? And the reason we're interested is because somebody's about to steal our name. Well, yeah, there's this big kerfuffle. The District of Columbia is voting in November about whether or not to pursue statehood. And the city council there last week said if they do, in fact, become a state, they'll call themselves the state of Washington, D.C. So Evan Bush over at the Seattle Times wrote an article about this. The public radio station in D.C. published a list of why Washington, D.C. is better than Washington State. It's oh, one of these sort of things the media loves. And here I am loving it, of course. But it got me thinking about not, not just the name of, of Washington, because obviously we could have been called Columbia Territory, as we talked right. about here before many times. Um, it got me thinking about place names around here that generate friction, not because someone's trying to steal them, but because they just can't get pronounced correctly. I mean, how about this local seafood restaurant? This local seafood restaurant. And we're going to go to Ivar's as a family dinner. I kind of wanted to eat something like very Seattle-ish. So we're here at uh, Ivar's. Here is the famous Ivar's bowl of chowder. Let's give it a try. That makes my head hurt. Where, where did you get these That's people? That's a poor local family somewhere that did a vacation here and published a really nice YouTube video about it. I just stole it because they 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 exemplify the people who come here and don't get that it's not Ivars, right. it's Ivers, right? right? Great way to tell how long someone's lived here. Of course, you know it's not just tourists who visit here. We had President Obama a few years ago after the deadly mudslide up in that little community along the Stillaguamish River. They've been relentless in making sure that uh, also had the resources that it needs, uh, because while very few Americans have ever heard uh, of ASO before the disaster struck, uh, we've all been inspired by the incredible way that the community uh, has come together. Um, one resident said, we're ASO and we just do it. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, no. Now, that's a montage. I compress that. He got one out of three. Yeah, he got it right, then he got it wrong a few more times. Um, and so my personal pet peeve, pet peeve is a city over in Stevens County. Oh, I got dinged yeah. for this when I became a reporter over yeah, there. And I, and I actually I call this place and I call other local media outlets anonymously on the weekends when the new guy's working and tell them how to pronounce this correctly. This is from an official video where they pronounce it both ways. You've just arrived at one of the most incredible rural communities in the USA. Colville, Washington is nestled between the Selkirk Mountains 
and the Kettle Falls Mountain Range. The Colville Valley, rich in history, provides a quality of life that is second to none. You know, you know which one it is? It's Colville, named it's for Colville. the Lord yeah. Governor Colville of the Hudson's Bay Company in London back in the 1830s. So you were the one that called me when I yeah, said I call here. I, whenever, there's, whenever there's a new guy, I don't see who I am, I call and say it's Colville. Anyway, um, so there's a, another example a little bit closer to home. This is a city named after that great city in Iowa, down here in southwest King County. So I called the city manager, no, excuse me, the city clerk of this city mm -hmm. and talked to her on the phone. And so I put together this little montage of her explaining how it's pronounced. But then I called the city's answering service to see what they said. So that says location, and then that says Des Moines, spelled out D-E-S-M-O-I-N-E-S. -E then parentheses, it says pronounced. And then a little D, a little E, a space, a little M, a little O, a little I, a little N with an apostrophe. And then in the parentheses. I'm Bonnie Wilkins, the city clerk of the city of Des Moines, Washington. Thank you for calling the city of Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. <laughs> so which is it? I say, I always pronounce the S. So do I. You know, it's not, I, the city council changed it. Well, they, they passed they a resolution they a back in the ago. 70s. Yeah, yeah no. Well, no, recently they did. Because I did a story on that, too, because people kept calling me see, out on it. See how controversial this is? So they said it was Des Moines. But they let it go both ways. Bonnie Wilkins, the city clerk, they're very tolerant. They, she, she sort of explains it a little bit further. Let's hear this next cut here. I think it just depends on who you are and what you say. You know, I mean, um, where you come from, people, sometimes they say, you know, Washington and Washington. For me, it's the people who've lived here forever do not put the S on the end. You know, and having said that, I have people who've lived here forever, and they do say the S. So it really is subjective to what you have done your whole life i think you know as a, as a kid i mean i've lived here my whole life and um we've always just called it des moines because that's kind of huh. how we did it i don't even know why one of the first corrections i got when i came here was you you add the s mm -hmm. that's the difference between our des moines and their des moines is we have the s on ours. yeah and there's a famous, famous pronunciation Iowa. guide this guy hugh rundle wrote this thing it was in the newsroom here 25 years ago with lists of all the names yeah. he, he calls it De, des moines he says it's it's plural here in washington or plural or has an, or an s z sound on the end but i like what she said about washington and washington because yeah. there's actually a guy who was writing in the early 1950s about the fact that there were clusters of population around the urban areas here around seattle around spokane and around vancouver washington who said washington or my favorite pronunciation washington i knew a kid in, at roseville junior high in the 1980s who said washington it's something from people from the south apparently pronounce it that way but Again, you go to YouTube, and here's what you find. Washington. Where are we going? Washington. Where are we in Washington? <laughs> Tell me what state we're from. Washington. What state? Washington. Washington. <laughs> well, there's the solution. D.C. can call itself Washington. Uh, there you go. Exactly. Where do you that, that's, the... that's exactly where this led me. We should be this great state of Washington. We can say say war instead of say wah. Where do you fall campaign. on the, the city that starts with a P? I get on solely for this all the time. Do the... Our textures oh, have already Puyallup. gotten on us. The why is the He why says Puyallup. The why no, no, I don't. There. I say Puyallup. You say okay. Puyallup. It's Puyallup. Puyallup. No, it's Puyallup. You so, ask the first family of Puyallup, the Hewards. <laughs> And I've been out over this and over this and over this. So it's anyway. not Pew anything. Yeah. It's Pyal. It's yeah. North South Hill. Things are swinging in Seattle. Things are swinging in Seattle. It's the place for me. And now for the Never Green Minute, the roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening around the Pacific Northwest. 
First up, the Northwest Museum of Arts and Culture in Spokane presents Tuesday Gallery Talks most Tuesdays at 11 a.m., including March 29th. These guided gallery talks at the MAC are included with museum admission. More info at northwestmuseum.org. Next up, the Museum of Flight in Seattle presents a free online program, the 100th Anniversary of U.S. Navy Aircraft Carriers, on Thursday, March 31st at 6 p.m. More info and registration at museumofflight.org. Finally, next month, Seattle Architecture Foundation will present a walking tour in Seattle called Madrona, Streetcar Suburb to Neighborhood of Spirited Commerce and Diversity, on Saturday, April 30th at 10 a.m. More info at seattlearchitecture.org. We'll have more history happenings on next week's edition of the Nevergreen Minute. I'm Felix Bunnell at Cairo News Radio in Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at mynorthwest.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend and please take a moment to give a positive rating or review. Thanks for listening and please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian. And it is with this thought that we most reluctantly conclude our glimpses of Washington State. Telephone, yakety yak on the telephone all the time. Got a heck of a life and you got a bite on the T E L E. Telephone, telephone, yakety yak on the telephone all the time. Got a heck of a life and you got a bite on the telephone.